0: If you would take out your Bibles along with me and let's turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. And given the fact that we have just confessed through song that our shepherd will supply our need, let's go to our shepherd now and ask him for what we need in his word. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we praise you for meeting our every need and we thank you, Father, That once you have found us, you do not leave us, but you guide us all the way home. And so we thank you, Father, for your word and your spirit, your map and your compass that accompany us on that journey. So, Father, would you open our ears to hear you speak? Would you open our eyes to see your glory? Would you open our minds to understand and our hearts would be open to be moved by your great truth? Father, may your word before us be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and your greater glory, our supreme good through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray, amen. We are in our series, how Jesus Christ runs his church, the, um, what church government is and why it matters, and we are a mission church, but Lord willing fairly soon we're going to be an organized church, and that primarily means that we are self-governing. We no longer have the temporary session. We have our own session of elders raised up locally here. Now, church government, I, I know some, when you think of government, okay, it's time to tune out, To t- time to get your nap. Well, you know, we really, we recognize that that Civil government matters, it affects our lives, and the church government matters, it affects our lives. This is not a um, an insignificant, an unimportant, a peripheral matter, but it's rather important and central, and in many ways, I can say it's a matter of life and death for the ministry of the church, because the ministry of a church, what it does, and the... Um, Government of a church, how it is led, cannot be separated. And as I hope you've been hearing and learning, Presbyterian or representative church government is not only biblically consistent, but it's also extremely practical in that while it provides an orienting framework for the entire life and ministry of the church, it also provides for a great means to protect the church from anarchy, on the one hand, where anything goes. But it also protects us from tyranny, on the other hand, where one man or one group rules. And we need these checks and balances because of our fall into sin. Presbyterian church government if anything it reminds us that Jesus Christ is the king the head the ruler of his church and we saw that a few weeks ago from Isaiah chapter 9 that the government rests on his shoulders and we saw it from Colossians 1 where Jesus is declared the head of his body the head of the church and so you know it go, what goes without saying sometimes should be said. Jesus runs the church. Jesus rules his church. He's the one who's in charge. He calls the shots. And in not an irreverent manner, Jesus is the boss. Now he's a good boss. He's a great boss. He's the only boss that's worthy of our full allegiance. And service. Indeed, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And that's why Jesus can send his people out to do the work of ministry. And so our current series is, in a word, how Jesus Christ runs his church. Now, in talking about himself as king, Jesus makes it known that his, his service as king can be represented As both a shepherd and a servant. Jesus, as the king, provides his church, his bride, with the good gifts of shepherds or elders and servants or deacons. Because they display Jesus in his ministry of rule and in his ministry of service. And a church needs both. A healthy church needs both. Now, we just sang a hymn, which was Isaac Watts' rendition of Psalm 23. It's a rich biblical image, is it not, of shepherds and sheep. I hope you've read the Something to Think About quote this week. It's the same one we had last week, but it's important because this picture of sheep and shepherds is not just something... to to have warm thoughts about. It's a great picture of the reality of how God cares for his beloved people. Last week we saw Jesus our shepherd from John chapter 10 where we saw the extent of Jesus' love, the extent of his knowledge, and then we considered the extent of our response to that kind of love, to that kind of knowledge. Shepherd, God himself, we heard in Ezekiel 34, but we also heard that there were shepherds of Israel, men called to lead and take care of God's people. And we think of Moses and David, who interestingly were called from the work of being shepherds to shepherd God's people, the elders of Israel. And also that term moves over into the New Testament because you hear about the elders of the church. Today, we're going to consider the elders of the church as the shepherds of the church. And for those of you familiar with Paul's pastoral letters, First and 2 Timothy and Titus, you'll notice that in, in, in Titus, why does Paul leave Titus on the Greek, on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean? He leaves Titus to continue the work that Paul had begun to continue to bring the church's establishment um, to completion. And to do that was the appointing of elders, the appointing of shepherds. Now, to get us going, I've got an exercise for all of us. When is a noun also a verb? Now, kids, you know parts of speech, do you like that? Nouns, verbs, adjectives, adverbs. Well, here's a case Where a word is a noun and a verb. Can you give me a good example? How about this? And our friend Joel thinks about this all the time. Google. Google is a noun and it's a verb. I mean, how many of y'all Googled something already today? Yes, yes. It's a noun and a verb. And in our text today, we're going to see, ready? Shepherds. Shepherd. Shepherd's shepherd. This is who you are. In other words, the indicative. And this is what you are called to do, the imperative. You are. Now live it out, in other words. This is true not only for Christians in general as we understand that beautiful relationship between the indicative and the imperative, but this is in particular importance for the leaders of the church. And we will see this in our text, 1 Peter 5, the first five verses, about the person and work of the elder. Join with me now as I read the first five verses of 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, in considering the person and work of the elder, we're going to consider three aspects The calling of the elder, the manner of the elder, and finally the reward of the elder. Peter, the apostle, the elder, writes to the church, and here he addresses the leaders of the church. The calling of the elder. Now notice the context. Before we get into chapter 5, we see that, that faith is exercised in the furnace of affliction, in the furnace of suffering. And it's in that context that God is calling leaders and shepherds of his church. Peter calls himself a fellow elder. In other words, I'm beside you. But also as a witness, an apostle, someone set apart from you. Peter, think of the biography of Peter, called by Jesus, fell hard and deep when he denied even knowing Jesus. But as we heard in John chapter 21, restored into fellowship and ministry with Jesus. Many of you uh, like to study Christian biographies. And I think it's a great way to grow in the faith is to read about men and women of the faith. But you know a biography that would be great to study? Peter. When you feel like you've blown it, when you feel like there's no return, think about Peter. Jesus said he was praying for Peter. And that when you turn, strengthen the brothers. And brothers and sisters, we are seeing the fruit of that prayer. It's good news for all of us, for those who repent just like Peter. In that conversation Jesus had with Peter, you know, Jesus equates love for him with love for God's people. If you love me, Jesus says, then feed my sheep, feed my lambs. As we saw in our study of 1 John, love for God does not exist in a vacuum. You can't love God by signing a piece of paper. You can't love God by um, affirming some creedal statement. No, you love God whom you can't see. By loving people who you can see. People made in the image of God. A true picture of our love for God. Which we confess. Is the love we profess to one another. Up close and personal. And what is the primary call of this elder? It's to shepherd the church. The flock. Peter here isn't. Ordering, he isn't suggesting, but rather he's appealing. And as we will see, that elders, shepherd, shepherds, shepherd. There's the noun and the verb, and indeed the word pastor comes from the Latin word to shepherd, to be a shepherd, pastor. And elders, as shepherds, what do we see? Exercise oversight, oversight, not overlooking but oversight. And there's a big difference between overseeing and overlooking because when you overlook, you neglect, you fail to see. But when you oversee, you see what you're supposed to see. And who do they exercise oversight of? The flock of God. It's a term of endearment. It means God's precious flock the flock that is bought with the precious blood of Jesus, as Peter tells the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. The flock of God, and where is this flock of God located? We read, that is among you. Not at a distance, but up close and personal. Technology is great. Keeping in touch via Skype and FaceTime, And all of these other modern marvels of technology is great. But nothing replaces face-to-face, up close. The flock that is among you. The shepherds of God's people are to be among God's people. It's not at a distance. When is a noun also a verb? When is a verb also a noun? Right here. Peter is saying to these men, Be who you are, now do what you are. Shepherds, shepherd. Indeed, elders are in the church to provide for the church and to protect the church. And in the book, The Shepherd Leader, which I've used in officer training in the past, and I've got many more copies to give away in the future. The Shepherd Leader, there are four tasks, as it were, of the elder, of the shepherd. Shepherds know the sheep. And we saw that in John chapter 10. Jesus saying, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. There's mutual familiarity. The elder knows his people. His people know their elder. There's a mutual familiarity. And remember, Jesus knows his people, but he does not reject his people as we saw last week. So shepherds know the sheep, but shepherds also feed the sheep. They, they, they feed the sheep God's word. They, they, they themselves are fed as they feed others God's word, and they feed and lead people to green pastures because the, the elders and the shepherds know the sheep. They feed the sheep. They lead the sheep. They lead the church in worship, in nurture, in witness. The elders lead the church. Now, before I came out here, I was still living in Pennsylvania, and our home church was in Wilmington, Delaware. And my uh, pastor at the time, Robert Lethem, uh, became a spiritual and theological mentor. And I asked Bob, I said, Bob, what do I need to know about leadership in the church? As a pastor, as a teaching elder, what do I need to know? What's the one thing? Can you? Bob would not do Twitter, but I was looking for his Twitter answer. I said, Bob, what do I need to know? And he says, Lee, you are called to lead the church in repentance and faith. That's what you're to do. And I believe that would be 140 characters or less. And so, yes, that was a tweet. The pastor is called to lead the church in repentance and faith. But shepherds also protect the church. Protect the sheep from enemies. From the false doctrine that we see in Acts 20. Where Paul warns against ferocious wolves that will come into the church but also protect the church themselves from straying as we read in Matthew 18 about the lost sheep that the shepherd goes after. Elders as the shepherds of the church are not to entertain the church by pandering to people's misguided desires, but they are to be serious, sacrificial, and they are called to vital service. Now, the calling of the elder is in a word to shepherd, to exercise oversight. Peter then goes on to describe how this shepherding is done, the manner of the elder. And notice, this is the majority of his words in our little section. The manner of the elder. And we see from the end of verse 2 through verse 3. Because motive, why you do something, and manner, how you do something, is as important as what you do. Sometimes probably more than what you do. Who you are as a shepherd, Peter is saying, determines what you do, you shepherd, and how you do it, your manner. And here we begin to see the weighty responsibilities of a calling to serve as an elder and a shepherd, often unappreciated, At times opposed. It can be a heavy burden. But that's why it's a calling. It's a calling. And therefore the focus is on the motives of the heart. And here we see three aspects of the manner of the elder. First, delight, not duty. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Now duty is not a bad word. The Christian has duties. At times we do our duty and that is good. But here we see gladly, willingly, in accordance with God's will instead of under a sense of dutiful drudgery, as it were. Willingly, spontaneously, the sole purpose the elder has is to do God's will. He demonstrates love and thankfulness. He shepherds the flock with a readiness that springs from God's grace and it runs to God's glory. Did you hear that? It springs from God's grace, and it runs to God's glory. So part of the manner of the elder is this. It's delight, not duty, but it's also service, not self-interest, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, we read. It's not out of greed, not out of self-gratification, because the elder considers others more important than himself it's eagerly it's with enthusiasm now peter is not going to condemn fair compensation but he is condemning the love of gain and the abuse of church position so there's delight not duty service not self-interest and also a model not a master Because the elder is going to shepherd by not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. Peter here is commending leadership by way of humble, grateful, and exemplary service. An example, a model, a model of what, you might ask? An example of what? Well, as I said earlier, the calling is to lead the church in repentance and faith. So I believe it's an example of someone who repents and who believes. A few years ago, I was listening to a talk from a fellow PCA minister who was speaking at a conference in London a few years ago, and under the heading, What the Church Needs Most in a Leader, I heard these words. Quote, My dear friends, most churches make the mistake of selecting as leaders the confident, the competent, and the successful. But what you most need in a leader is someone who has been broken by the knowledge of his sin. And even greater knowledge of Jesus' costly grace. The number one leaders in every church ought to be the men who repent the most fully without excuses. Because you don't need any now the most easily without bitterness, the most publicly and the most joyfully. They know their standing isn't based on their performance. End quote. Who's the author of this passage? Peter. Peter's been broken. He knows his standing and his calling is not based on his performance. He blew it. Brothers and sisters, may that encourage you, not only when you think about the leaders of the church, may that encourage you in your own Christian life and walk in the home at work. Peter warns against the haughty abuse of power and exhorts leaders to be like who? To be like Jesus. In other words, no heavy-handed shepherding. There was a movement in the 60s and the 70s in the United Kingdom and the United States in some conservative churches which was called the Shepherding Movement. And what it boiled down to this is elders ruled. Elders ruled your life. You want to move? Check with the elders. You want to change a job? Check with the elders. You want to um, uh, determine which school to go? your kids should go to? Check with the elders. My friends, that was an abuse. An abuse. Because the Power, church power is limited. It's spiritual. And its guidelines and governance is in accordance with the Bible and in our case, the Westminster Confession of Faith. Again, any man here can can wear uh, plaid pants and a striped sports coat. And the church can and should say nothing. Their friends should say something. (laughs) But a man that's drunk all the time the church should absolutely step in and help out. There are limits to authority. Okay, all of this, in all of this, the elder is not pointing to himself, but he's rather pointing to Jesus Christ in how they serve. Elders are accountable to God, we read in Hebrews 13, because accountability goes both ways. Well, what's the payoff? What's in it for them? What's the reward? What is the reward of the elder? What... What's the payoff for this kind of calling, this kind of labor? Well, Peter tells us in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Rewards both present and promised. What's the present reward? Well, in the same passage in Hebrews 13 about accountability, there is joy. Because they're following Jesus who for the joy set before Him. The present reward of the elder is joy. But there's also a promised future reward. It's a crown of glory. Glory that is going to be revealed as we read in verse 1. In other words, it's the end of our salvation. It's, it's the fullness of our salvation. It is reaching glory. The chief shepherd. We've talked about the good shepherd from John 10 and the great shepherd you hear in the benediction after the Lord's Supper. Here it's the chief shepherd because the under shepherds serve at the pleasure and the direction of the chief shepherd. They're responsible to and they're they're under the watchful eye and care of Jesus. Elders' authorities is not original. They only minister in the name of Jesus Jesus And according to the word of Jesus. And this title, Chief Shepherd, brings out the relationship of Christ's pastoral care and work to that of the church leaders. And notice it says, when the Chief Shepherd, what? Appears. Appears. It doesn't say when the Chief Shepherd comes. Because you know what, my friends? The elder is already serving in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is not distant. The elder is close to Jesus. The elder already serves in the presence of Jesus. My friends, the elders that we want to call are men who are close to Jesus because those are the kinds of shepherds this church and any church needs. Remember, an elder is accountable to God for how he leads and serves because it's God's church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And my friends, notice the context of these comments. There's suffering before and there's humility afterwards. As we read, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble." Our passage will serve us well now and in the years to come if we remember two things. You've heard quite a bit from 1 Peter 5. Here are two things to take away. First, God calls shepherds, not cowboys, to care for His church. Because cowboys drive cattle. Where do they drive cattle? To the slaughterhouse. Sheep, Shepherds lead sheep where? To the chief shepherd, to the good shepherd who provides pasture and waters. Elders are shepherds who have the calling, the character, and the competence to care for God's flock in all kinds of weather, especially suffering. Theirs and others. An elder has to be tough. He's got to protect the sheep from dangers on the outside and dangers on the inside. The elder has to be strong because he's got to pick the sheep up at times and carry them a great distance. The elder has to be tender. He has to care for the young, the sick, the hurt, the old, all the while exercising great wisdom. An elder has to be simultaneously confident and bold as well as humble and gentle. My friends, where on earth, where on earth, how on earth is that possible? Well, the answer to that question is found in this second statement. Elders are not only called to be shepherds, not cowboys, But elders are not self-made men. They are God-made men. Elders do not serve because of natural abilities or even in view of their ordination by the church. Rather, they serve because God calls them to serve and equips them to serve. And that calling is recognized by the church. So we're going to end with just three prayer requests. Prayer number one. Pray that God would provide these kinds of men for this church. Prayer number two, pray that those men in whom God is at work would respond to God's calling. And third, pray that we as a congregation would recognize those men whom God is calling to shepherd the flock here at Grace and Peace. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful image that points to a great reality that you, our great King, our Heavenly Father, you are also the shepherd of your people. Father, may we be the kind of sheep that that rejoice that we have such a great and a chief and a good shepherd to care for us. Father, may we not be prone to wander, but prone to stay close to the shepherd, enjoying the green pastures that he leads us to and the still waters by which we can be refreshed. Oh, Father, you have been pleased to provide good gifts to your church. May you be pleased in the coming days to provide the good gifts of elder for this small flock that's a part of your growing kingdom